Hello, podcast listeners. Exciting time. We've got a new guest on our podcast. So I'm going to get straight into it today. We've got Faye Spruce, who has joined us from Walkingston Smith today. But I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, my name's Faye. I currently work for Morkingston Smith. It has been quite the journey to get here. <laughs> so, um, if I do a quick run through, I started my career back in the 2008 recession um, in agency, did a good probably five, six, maybe seven years in agency, then moved in house, did a good few years in house across construction, banking, and then into um, professional services, went back to agency, and now been with Moore Kingston Smith for four months. So still early days there, but that's kind of where I've got to, a very quick sweep through of my experience today. Uh, how, how, is, how is agency recruitment in 2008? Because I really joined this. it at that point. <laughs> I, I was 2014. Yeah, 2014. So I missed that whole landscape. Yeah. What was it like? So I started, so I came straight out of school. I decided I was going to find a job between finishing school and potentially going to university because I didn't know what I wanted to do. As with most people in recruitment, fell into it by going to go to a recruiter to find myself a job. Started and within six months, that's when the recession hit and lost my job briefly. They hired me back within two weeks. But I was traveling from Kent to Croydon, which was about four hours travel each way each day. But I was young, I was naive, because what it was in the day. And because there was so few jobs, I was like, I'll take it. Um, but it was a very, I would say one of the biggest differences, and I know we'll get onto more of this later, is that it was a very employer-driven market because there were so many people looking for work. Employers could be really picky and candidates could be less picky. Um, and I think in a positive way that's changed, but yeah, it was... It was a strange time and things have progressively gotten better over the years, um, but it was probably not the best time to start a career in recruitment, to be completely honest. <laughs> what, what a challenge. Yeah. Because that was a massive change and things just went hot, yeah. didn't they, really? To, to start off your recruitment journey in 2008 would have, I mean, I, I can't imagine. The, <laughs> the only change that I can imagine or relate to is COVID. Yeah. Right? That, what, and what it was, was it very like? similar. So, you know, in COVID, from a recruitment perspective, mm. for a brief period, things really slowed down. Everyone stopped. Everyone worried. Mm. Worried. Um, but then within kind of, what was it, probably three months, things started to pick back up again. And there was a little bit of positivity. We kind of thought, actually, we might be all right. There's, the government can do things to get businesses through this. Whereas back then it was who knows when this is going to get better? And I don't think there was any kind of main turning point. It just was a slow, slow uptick of things getting better and better and better. And from, I guess, from an agency side, it got better and better and better until COVID. I, think, I don't think there were any other dips along the way. Obviously, I'd moved internal throughout that point. But I think that was kind of the up and then COVID hit. And I'm guessing a similar thing happened. There was a bit of a dip and then it started to pick up again. And I think... Mm-hmm. Now things are pretty much back to normal. Although there was the, what was it called? Everyone changing jobs last year <laughs> or two years ago. Yeah, the, the great was it the great the resignation. Re- yes, yeah. the great resignation. <laughs> <laughs> 
it wasn't that great, was it? It, no. it wasn't that big a deal. No. Not many people did it, but yeah. I don't think I'm making this up, but don't think saying, I'm probably making this up. I thought there's a, econ- the, the economy crashes every 10 years or so. Isn't that, I think, from what I've heard? I've seen something mm-hmm. on LinkedIn when you know, you do that little scroll whilst you're eating your lunch and you're like, well, supposedly this is the crash and I should invest now because in six years' time, I'm going to make a load of money before it crashes again. <laughs> I always miss that. I haven't done it, but I should be doing it. <laughs> so what made you go in-house? Um, so I've been really lucky in that throughout my agency and internal career, I've made some really good relationships. So one of my second jobs in recruitment, so I started in accountancy recruitment, then went to IT. One of my clients when I was doing IT, used to be a um, recruiting business partner at Visa Europe. He'd moved to Valpabiti and said, I need someone to support me. Can you come and help? And I thought, it's the same as what I'm doing. It will be fine. And ultimately, there are a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences. Like, I didn't realise quite how different the role could be at the time. Um, So I took it because I kind of thought, you know what, by that point, I'd done permanent hires, temporary hires, I've done executive search, executive search, executive interim, and thought, everyone says in-house is easier. I'll give give it a try. (laughs) Um, And to be fair, I have really enjoyed it. And um, that same manager that hired me in there is the same one who I joined last year when I went went back to agency. So he set up an agency with my boss who I had when I first did tech recruitment. They set up and said, we want you to join us, come back. And so I'm like, you know what? I'd been at Deloitte for three and a half years and thought, good, good as time as any to go back and give it a go. <laughs> it's the power of relationships. Isn't mm. it? I, and I think this is what really worries me about nowadays, nowadays, um, is that because we're going more towards that model of not really being in an office yeah. or interacting with people, that becomes lost. I think that interaction, that networking, the power of going for lunch with somebody or not even a drink after work. I'm talking here going for lunch or even having a coffee in the canteen. That's what can be what gets you your next job. I think there's a little bit of a lack of understanding around that. And I think it's because particularly people that are starting their careers now, they don't know the difference and they've not been in a scenario where their end of their education has been in person. And I think a lot of that kind of learning is done face-to-face, whether that's the socialising aspect from a business perspective rather than a friendly perspective or a learning perspective. And I think it's very different. And I think there is a lot of people who haven't had exposure to that, which is a shame. And I don't know what that will do in the future. Potentially leave people with less opportunities. But I think as you both know, like within recruitment, the more relationships you can build, the better you can build them, the better, the, I'll say the easier your career is going to be long term. <laughs> if you've yeah. got those good relationships, you have to do less work with candidates, less work, probably the wrong, wrong way to put it, but you're going to have those people come to you and say, I need someone or I need help or I need a new mm-hmm. job. And you don't have to go and find those people, whether it be clients or candidates. And those relationships ultimately can lead to all your successes mm. absolutely I, I think this is in recruitment when people start out they don't necessarily understand the longevity mm. because like you said earlier people fall into it you know it's not a career that people necessarily think about or 
you know, finish uni and think, oh, I want to go off and do recruitment. Yeah. But those relationships with your stakeholders, with your candidates are absolutely critical to what you do. Absolutely. And you, you won't have a successful career in my opinion without that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I was in the end poached. So Dave, our CEO, he, he poached me because of the relationships I had with clients, because of the reputation I had in the market. It's all, a lot of it is who you know. Yeah. And I think we're falling into that more and more nowadays. People aren't necessarily just clicking on adverts and applying. It's about who they know, who they're referred by, who's contacting them, who's speaking to them. And I think COVID's almost pulled us back a little bit from that because nobody's going in the office. Or, well, actually, more people are now asking to go back in the office. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a really interesting, it'll be interesting to see how it develops over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, for sure. Faye, you mentioned earlier, and, and the reason I bring this up is because our podcast is all about dispelling the bits of recruitment. You mentioned earlier, some people think in-house is easier than agency. Yes. Flat out, yes or no. Is it? <laughs> no. I wouldn't say it's harder, but I would say both have their different challenges. Both have their massive positives, um, but equally the challenges from each one are very different. Um and the effort that you have to put in is probably equal. Um, but ultimately, when you move in-house, you're not relying on the, the bonuses and the commission side. And I think that's the only difference is that you are basically being relied on by the company you're working for to deliver. Um, so the, the, it's still very much on you as the individual to do your job and do your job well. Um, but the challenges, as I say, differ somewhat in that the, the biggest thing I found when I first moved is how many people want your time as an internal recruiter. So at the time when I moved to Balfinity, and it's been similar throughout, but I used to look after what was called corporate functions. So that was everything from finance, IT, legal, health and safety, basically anything that wasn't a building person on site, mm-hmm. I looked after. So when you move from agency and you look after one small area you are an expert in that area and you can build a pool of candidates in that area mm. for your jobs when you go into a role like that and you're being asked to reduce agency usage reduce spend fill these roles directly do headhunting source them interview them across that many areas you've got all of those hiring managers after you you've got all the direct candidates you've then got the agencies You've then got the reporting back to say how you're doing on the time to hire, the cost to hire, all of those things. Mm. In that you, you just are on, on demand 24, well, not 24 7, but you could be. <laughs> and I think it's just the breadth rather than the depth, I think is the bit that you kind of notice when you are in house. Um, because I guess the difference is if you've got a really strong candidate, you can use them for multiple clients. Mm. And it's not saying they're going to be perfect for every client and you will still need to find different candidates for different needs, etc. But for every one job, you have a bunch of candidates and you've got nothing else you can do with them afterwards. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. you can't talent all effectively because you don't know when you're going to need that kind of person again. It's very yeah. different when you do audit recruitment because you probably will. Yeah. Um, but I think that was the biggest challenge or biggest thing that I noticed is that a lot of these hiring managers and at the time what this must have been God, probably six seven years ago now it was the first time I moved internally I was still quite young mm. I was a little bit taken aback that everyone thought I knew about all these different types of jobs I mean I learned very quickly and I've, I've, by my own admission did a very good job 
but it was just they expected me to know what I was doing and take ownership of it and just do it and you have to learn very quickly and you learn how to flip between different industries career type skill sets candidates mm -hmm. but it's a juggling act because every hiring manager and as you probably know every client wants to think they're the most important every hiring manager wants to think they're the most important every candidate wants to think they're the most important mm -hmm. every agency wants to think they're the most important and you're just basically constantly batting through these emails or calls yeah. and everything to try and get on top of everything and make everyone feel an experience a good experience it's one of my biggest goals as an in-house recruiter is to make recruitment enjoyable for everyone that's involved because everyone hates looking for a job and recruiting if you're recruiting it's because you've got you haven't got enough staff in your team if you're looking for a job you either don't like where you are or you're not working it's a bad situation for both sides and a lot of businesses have inefficient processes that are either outdated or just don't work for where they are right now. And I think that's one of the things that I enjoy most about being internal is looking at those inefficiencies and fixing them or trying to fix them. Mm. It's not always possible, but. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, 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 I've never been in house. Yeah. Um, I've always been agency. And I actually don't, I, I don't really think I've thought about it. In that way, <laughs> and you've, you've explained that really clearly, I don't think I've really thought about the amount of different, you've got to turn, right? You've got to turn to face off yeah. lots of different directions. Um, and also, you're representing your brand. Yeah. So from a candidate perspective, that must be really difficult because we find it difficult representing different brands, but that's not our brand. Yeah. We can push that off sometimes because it's not, it's not, our, it's not us, it's not us mm -hmm. not feedback. And but when it's your own company, that must be really quite stressful. Yeah, because it's the pressure to leave a good, hmm. I guess, leave a good mark on that candidate, whether it's a positive or an unfortunate no outcome for that candidate. You want them to experience a good process so they go back to people they know and refer us or say, actually, I didn't get a job, but it's a really good company. I've got really quick feedback, all these kind of things. And I think here's one of those things that you don't realise or I, I didn't realise until I was in that position. Actually, if I didn't respond to someone, that looks bad on not just me, but the entire company. And it's... It's a bit, I would say, a different type of pressure, I think, because I think the pressure when you're, or when I was an agency, was very much like target, cut target or KPI driven, whereas this is like the reputation, the, and ultimately, if you don't fill a job, that's not going to go away. When So if you work for, for an agency, yeah. you can turn around and go, yeah. yeah, and you can turn around and go, it's not worth my time, it's never going to get filled, they're looking for something that doesn't exist, mm. whereas when you're in-house, the longer you don't get someone in that position, the more of a the more of a pain it becomes. <laughs> it's really insightful because, because it's similar to Jules. I've never done yeah. in-house recruitment. I joined IMC back in 2016. And so far this has been my forever home and long yeah. may it continue. I might be being really naive here, but I can't see personally why I would want to go in-house because it sounds completely, I mean, I, I could be, I've never done it before, so I could be being misjudgy here, but over here at, at our business, we've never been heavy on the KPIs because it's yeah. quality over quantity, you know, and I think that's how 
we work best with our clients and you're right you can we we can turn away work you know I've yeah. had very honest direct questions but as we know we work together yeah. <laughs> um but you know having real honest uh, you know conversations with the partners to say you're looking for x y and z that simply does not exist on the market however this does yeah whereas I guess you're right how do you do that internally would be a different challenge. Yeah, and I think you can, still, you can still do it internally and that's mm. very much part of your job as an internal recruiter or an in-house recruiter is to say this doesn't exist. Mm. But it's also your, your role to find out what does exist yeah. and take the senior stakeholders on that journey with you. Yeah. So it's very much a, because a lot of these people have been in their careers for a long time, whichever business I've worked in, there's people that have, stayed with the same company throughout their career mm-hmm. and when they look for a job it was very different to what it is to look for a job now or when you're looking to hire it's very different and if they haven't regularly hired and they haven't regularly um or haven't gone through growth continuously there's a lot of knowledge they don't have in that actually this skills that doesn't exist or mm-hmm. even when it comes to advertising things you can and can't say there's so many things that you just have to be like a reference point and a also like a fountain of knowledge for everything with enough enough pushback to make the right changes but without pushing back too much that they don't respect you anymore (laughs) fend them in something that they i mean they do often think they know yes (laughs) um we have that many times um but they're not recruiters (laughs) yeah but recruitment is a market and that is a skill set and we often will say to clients i understand you are technically better than me to auditing but do trust me I do yeah. know recruitment I do know this market mm-hmm. it's it's difficult to do that and I want to move us on to maybe diversity because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's many things that you four months so yeah I know it's not been <laughs> years and years but what are more Kingston Smith doing at the moment when they're thinking about recruiting onboarding progressing what diversity initiatives are you doing? So it's something that has obviously been in front of everyone's mind for a long time day to day. Um, but part of my role since joining is to kind of really build on that and improve what we've already got. But if I take our early talent recruitment process, for example, we use an ATS called Be Applied. And that system is very much driven on, um, I guess, diversity and the hiring process behind that. So with that system, um, people don't submit a CV. They are just given questions. You don't see their name. So when that comes through, everyone answers the same questions um, and they are scored based on those answers. So you don't know what, I don't, I don't think they check what school someone's been to or what jobs they've had to date. It's just based, particularly on those early talent roles, just based on how they answer those questions that we expect someone to have the base knowledge on to go into one of our graduate programs or early talent programs provided they get the grades they need to do that. Um, so obviously that takes um, kind of gender, race, anything else out of it. Um, and I'll say that's an our early talent piece. Um, Sorry, quick question. Yeah. That. So you, you, they'd have to get a grade. Yeah. Right. But apart from that, that's all you'd receive. A so, grade and then the answers to those questions. An initial part of the process, yes, and then they go into further assessment where they're, I think they get another assessment. I don't look after the only talent, so I've only seen it as an overview. Um, but yeah, it's very much a blind application process. 
and um, it reports really well. I've seen the like the back end reports that come out, and it reports really well on um, all kind of diversity agenda points, which I think is great. Um, whether that could work for experienced hires, probably not. Um, yeah. But things I'm working on with a lot of the kind of partners and the people team is we're looking at getting a new recruitment system. Um, so that's a kind of big focus and one of my number one goals since I've been there. We're on the route to it, um, which is great. So we've done a few demos with new ATS systems. So hopefully we'll get one in and that's something you can keep an eye on. Um, one of the really positive things I've noticed at Morkington Smith from some of the partners is that they're the ones coming to me saying, what more can we do? So I had one partner come to me and say, we've got really good um, diversity across our more junior teams and um, across kind of male, female in terms of other backgrounds, it's pretty well mixed. Mm -hmm. um, they said at senior manager level, we're probably a bit male heavy. And that's based on the fact that previously people that were going into the profession, there were more males. So there's more leftover that have got to that point. Um, but just hearing that from one of the partners is a really positive sign to me that I think within the mentality within Maltingston Smith, the inclusive nature and making sure we are kind of fair employers and everyone counts. I think it's it's kind of built into everyone and for them to say it's rare because normally it's the recruitment team who turn around and go, we've got a few too many males in this team. Um, <laughs> so um, one of the other things that we're looking at, and again, the partners are very much on board with is the um, looking at a return to work program for women who um, for women who are returning from either taking time off to have a child or from, well, it might be men as well, who have yeah. taken time off to care for families or whatever that might be. So we're going to build that out and see what we can do because ultimately there's probably a lot of senior women within the audit and accounting world who can't carry on doing those hours through busy season when they've no. got young children. But offering that opportunity and the conversations I've had with some of those partners around how that would look, whether it's they need to work a minimum of however many hours per week or minimum you know, days per week, or whether they flex it. So they do five days a week in busy season, but in the summer they get more days off for the school holidays. And that flexibility to kind of look at it and go, we need to see. So we always say that we are a people first business. It's one of our values is being people first. And since I've been there, I've really noticed that actually as a, as, a, as a firm, they do listen to what people are looking for. There's regularly surveys that go out, whether it's around benefits or the work-life culture, work-life balance, all those kind of things. And they will actively, or we will actively change things to, to kind of make things work for our people, which I don't think you often see. You often say, you often hear businesses say they're doing these things, but I've never personally seen it in action as much as I have in the time I've been with Morkington Smith, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I thought that was very long-winded, but... <laughs> no, it's probably more rare. I mean, I don't recruit in your space, I don't recruit in professional services, but I would imagine it's more rare in that world. Mm. It's really interesting the point you raised about there's a really good mix at the more junior levels, and we actually did a diversity report a couple of years ago, and that echoed that. So we saw, I think, actually more women at the junior level yeah but then there was this huge drop off surprise surprise between 30 and 35 yeah. and it never picks back up again so it's a continuous downward trend and I think you're right I think we need to figure out the return to work it's the return to work in my personal yeah. opinion and from what I can see with my friends it's 
too difficult. It's too difficult to return from maternity. It's too difficult to be able to balance nursery times, preschool times when a child is sick, um, and also the, the knock-on effect of, of, of being at work yeah. on your confidence. And I think that's the thing. So one of the things that we were talking about when we were talking about this process or putting this kind of return to work program in, a lot of businesses do it, a lot of firms do it, but often it is a kind of one year, two year program with a view that if it goes well, they stay on. But I'm like, actually, if you're investing in someone to return to work, you shouldn't do that with a cutoff. You should do that with a view that that person is going to come in and succeed. Um, And I think in addition to kind of those part-time hours, um, the fact that we do have our kind of core hours as a business, which are 10 till three, people have got kids, they can drop them off in the morning, start later, finish later, or it, honestly, it's just very grown up and people are trusted to do their job. And um, again, it's the kind of work-life balance, being in the office, being working from home. There's a lot of flexibility, which I think a lot of people have moved from some of the larger firms to there to get that. And I think we're very conscious not to lose that as we continue to grow. Mm. I, think, I think that relates back to recruitment as well, doesn't it? We see a massive drop off in yeah. our industry with you know females sort of not, come, not coming back to recruitment because it is a tough environment. Yeah. Like you just said earlier, right? Whether, you're, whether your agency or in-house have got completely two different pressures and at that level, it does tend to drop off. I mean. For us, you know, we're quite versatile. Again, you're right. It's all about the people. People drive mm. business. Over here, we recently implemented, I say recently, it's probably been a year and a half now, um, the, the family policy. And again, that's just to support females or males who go off and have children and want to come back in. Yeah. You know, there should be some support around that. Moving on to, you know, one of the other questions that we'd like to get out of this podcast is you've been in recruitment where you can draw comparisons, which is one of the reasons why we really wanted you on here. And, you know, what, in, in your opinion, what, what do you think the, the difference has been over the years in recruitment? I mean, he, hearing talk, you talk about a partner where you said they're actively coming to you, that's different. Yeah. What else do you see? Um, I, would say, I would say the biggest, the biggest change, I was thinking about this earlier, the biggest change throughout my career has been the, the technology aspect. When I first started, <laughs> there was very little in terms of, I guess, reporting or data. We were still printing CVs. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my first job was admin and I had to file all the CVs in those little, like, hangy file things. That's <laughs> mad. That sounds it? terrible. We didn't have LinkedIn. <laughs> LinkedIn wasn't a thing yet, or yeah, it was very it was. new. Um, but I think... In addition to that, whilst you've got the ability to have the, the I guess, your, your CV saved, you don't have to print everything, um, and LinkedIn, there is also a lot more information available to people. Yes. So when people are looking for a job, yeah. they can go, they, they can use Google, they can go on TikTok, they can go on Instagram, they can go on LinkedIn. Yeah. And it's not necessarily looking at that business, it's looking at what anyone in the world could say about that business. Mm. And I think that's something that a lot of businesses need to be more aware of is that their reputation is not just what they say yeah. and what they do, but it's what anyone that they yeah. interact with can say about them. Absolutely. It's what it's glass door. I mean, yes. the amount of conversations I've had with candidates who go, oh, I looked at, I looked at the company on glass door and oh, three people were really negative. And I'm like, 
there's 10,000 employees in that business. Hmm. Yeah, okay, but it was a really bad experience, these three people. And I was like, yeah, but that's three people. You've, you've got to remember here that three people's experience of a business in a completely different function in the whole, it could be somebody in a completely different function. You cannot rely on those three people. It's like going to, a, you know, looking at a restaurant. Yes. And Google reviews, if it was a 4.8 star restaurant with three negative reviews, mm. you'd probably think, look, those three people had a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a problem there. And right. also, particularly with reviews, people are more likely to put a review if they're unhappy. Yeah. So true. No one thinks in their day-to-day life, I'm having a wonderful time here. I'm going to write a review about it. <laughs> They're more likely to go, I didn't get the pay rise I wanted. I didn't get a promotion, like whatever that might be. And that is going to trigger them to go to war in the only way they can by keeping their job with an anonymous review. Yeah. <laughs> and I hate to brag, you're right. People do go out their way to write a negative review, which for us as an agency, five-star reviews, there's not one negative review. I hate to brag, but that is brilliant. <laughs> you're, 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 you're now setting us up. Yeah, sorry. sorry I drink but, but, absolutely. But, but to be fair, this is something we, we say to our clients. Someone will question, right, why should we work with you, right, Jules? We've had that question. Absolute blank question. Our CEO and we have conversations on going to our Google reviews. Yeah. Because people have genuinely gone out of their way to go and write something positive. Yeah. So that's my two pence. Podcast, mic drop, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Dave, you can invoice me later. (laughs) No, but it is is true. It's true. You're right. The accessibility of information. Yeah. And it does, it can either make or break you in a recruitment process. Yeah. And I think it's only going to continue as time goes on. And I think from a candidate's perspective who are looking for it, there's so much more available technology information to create a CV profile for themselves to build those, build those relationships. And yeah. um, whilst a lot of them probably don't do it as much as they should. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of a, another thing. It's that, that the main thing that's changed is technology and how that has impacted for the better and not necessarily the worst, because hopefully where people are seeing potentially not negative reviews or things that say this company is not great because of this, it gives businesses an opportunity to look at it and go, we think we're doing great, but what if we're not? And as long as they take a step back and go, do you know what? We need to improve on this, then that's great. And I think that's the right mind to have because people aren't going to get it right every time. And as long as companies and people are open to kind of that change to to kind of make it right, I think that says a lot about a company and yeah. and the people that you're going to work for ultimately yeah i think you're spot on on the technology though because in my seven and a half years it's changed hugely although i can't compare it to not you know non-linkedin days the only person that can was guy stacy <laughs> you can make me sound really old guys <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great comparison to have because yeah. you know as recruiters we do need to be very adaptable people otherwise you quickly fall behind yeah so that's a great comparison and that's a really good and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will really appreciate that. I think it's also changed people's mindsets around being a, being at an employer. So it's like dating apps. Mm. Yeah, we used to meet people in real life. We used to go to a bar and meet somebody or a friend of a friend. And that was, it, it, it happened through life and you know, life happening to you almost. 
then you have dating apps and there's this whole concept of the grass is always greener yeah there's so much more choice so many options and this is, i think is one of the problems maybe in recruitment nowadays is there is unfortunately and i do feel for hiring managers they they're all they must always be thinking my, my employees might leave me because the grass is always greener a, a business will always pay them more yeah and a business will always offer something more and um and actually it's about us finding ways to retain them and I guess on that point then because retention is really important around recruitment you must think as a business actively about retention strategies how do you keep people um how do you keep people I guess that's a a tricky one to answer from a more Kingston Smith perspective just that it's been such a short amount of time <laughs> Fair enough. but I think generally again it goes back to that taking feedback from the people um, and I think one of the things that leads to I think good retention particularly there or here um, is around the kind of culture and whilst we have grown significantly over the years um, it still feels small and it still feels like I want to say like a family um, and I, I shouldn't say the family phrase because people hate it when you're looking for a job that shouldn't say we're like a family. People, people <laughs> so irate. Yes. That. I've seen LinkedIn like wolves. Yes. So I'm not saying it in the negative sense. I'm saying it in a sense that you can go into work and you, if whether it's kind of wellness, whether it's you're having a hard time at home, whether it's you're struggling at work, whether it's you want to do another training course, whether you want to develop your career, it's a very open space in that you can say what you want and no one's gonna tear you down for it mm. people are around to support you and I think and I know we were talking about the kind of collaborating and people not going into the offices to build their networks the reason we ask people going to, to go into our office is because they have team days and a lot of times they go in one day a week all of their teams sit together they go for lunch or they go for a drink or they go for a meal after work or they do a social and it's to continue building that that team, mm -hmm. which I think is sometimes missing, particularly now because a lot of people were told to go into the office two days a week, but you go in and there's no one else there that you know. Whereas yeah. it's a very conscious effort to build that, I guess that relationship within the team. You know, when someone's, when you're having a bad day and you just want to turn around to someone and go, oh, I can't believe this has happened. Mm -hmm. And to have the opportunity to do that, to sit in an office, all the positives as well, I won't say it's all negative, but when yeah. you have those people that you can bounce off of, it makes a huge difference in, how you feel about work mm. because a problem shared is a problem part right yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and to build the resilience mm. i think you can only build resilience as a team if you really trust the people that you're with yeah. and i i genuinely don't believe that trust can be built over technology no i just don't believe it i mean i anybody can challenge me if they want on that i just don't believe it i think you can only really build trust from being around people um and seeing how they are with you, not just on the screen, but yeah, just walking around. Um, I, I don't think you can build resilience as a team if it's just all a couple of half hours every week. No. The thing is, you can't, how do you, like in COVID, I, I'm reflecting back to COVID because it's the comparison I have, but when we were on teams, okay, we'd ask each other how we feel because it was a very different context. Yeah. If you want to check it, but how, there, there was not, we, you're not really getting under the skin because that trust gap, you can, yeah, you, you can, you can almost just have a face and you know create a different impression. Yeah, things are great. You can't really get into that unless I, I agree. Uh, yeah, I think it's really just challenging personal moments mm, during COVID. Yeah, and I think teams in particular 
would have, if she would have seen me in person, mm. would have flagged those personal issues way sooner yeah. than yeah. I flagged them myself. And it's because I wasn't around my family, it's because it wasn't around friends. my friends yeah. and my colleagues that they escalated. And so I genuinely think yeah. that you're right, it becomes, you can just put on a persona, you can be a little avatar and a Sims character. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think you also have that. I guess it depends, particularly, obviously, I was a different company at the time. Um, but I felt like I had to work 24 7 because I was at home and I wasn't around anyone. Whereas, even if it's the one day you go into the office, mm, yeah, you finish at 5, 5 30 because everyone wants to socialize and you're going for a chat. And that one day a week or two days a week can be that change that makes your week rather than every day being the same thing day yeah. in, day out. Yeah, like ground hopping. Yeah, again, that's again. what it was. Sleep, <laughs> <laughs> go to the kitchen, make your breakfast, go back. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was just is. I don't think I'd ever want to be in that situation again, if I'm honest. Don't get me wrong. I, COVID was, for me, a different situation to you, Jules, right? And I've always said this quite openly, personally, professionally, it could make or break you. Yeah. Because it was a tough environment, whatever way people look at it. But I think even though I had a positive experience... I just wouldn't want to go back to that. I missed, you know, I remember we had to meet in the park away from each other because we are going to do two, two, two shoes. Yeah. Mean, we're really abiding by the cover. We really were. I'm not just saying that for the podcast. But that's the... <laughs> but but it's... I just can't imagine going back to that. No. You know, that way, I, I miss the days that I'm in. I'm off for two weeks, two and a half weeks. And I genuinely may, will miss the yeah. people in the office because that's what people... Are about that's what business is about it's about people yeah and I was also kind of on the retention piece um I guess people want to people need to feel valued in their job mm-hmm. I think the positive of COVID is people have realized there is more to life than work yeah so I think it has had its positives but I think a lot of what keep, what makes good makes for good retention rates is that people being feeling valued whether it's regular pay reviews or mm-hmm. whether it's promotions or I guess giving people the training they're looking for or giving them the opportunities to do what they want to do mm-hmm. like one of the things I've noticed at Walking to Smith is that if there's an opportunity to get involved in something else and you say I'm really interested in that they'll say fine come along mm-hmm. like there's a like values project which is going on with some of the kind of lead partners and they're like hey do you want to get involved because yes yes I do um because it's not just the same day in day out and it gives you that variety and there's so many opportunities to kind of get involved in things but if you didn't get involved because it's not your vibe Mm. no one's going to judge you for it (laughs) which I think is important because no one likes horse fun yeah true Are you the fun enforcer? (laughs) I am the fun enforcer. I'm not sure if it actually becomes enforced. I think, yeah. But um, Um, that is a really good point. Should we move on to bamboo wisdom? I'm just very conscious of the time. Keep an eye on it. That's fine. (laughs) Let's move on to bamboo sauce. Go on, Jules. I always usually do it. I'm going to pass the baton over to Jules. I'm officially on holiday holiday mode, so I'll pass it over to you. (laughs) Clocked out already. Okay, so. Right, you will hold a lot of interviews, yes. right? That are, a lot of your day will be interviewing people. What is your favourite interview question that you feel gets almost the most reaction or is the one that trips people up? Let's prepare people, you know? What's your favourite interview question that can oh, just throw people up? Giving a secret winner. Do you know what? Good point, good point. 
I tend to, there's no one, one size fits all. So I tend to delve into one area where there is a slight difference in their experience from where they currently are to the role that we're looking at. So there's always one small area that's not quite a perfect match. Sometimes it is, but delving into that and going, what do you personally think is the biggest challenge for you because you've not done this, but you're going to do this? And I think within that, you find how they think, mm. how they learn, how, motiva- how motivated they are to do that. Mm. Um, and the other one I used to like to ask was, what's your, oh, what's your main motivations for looking for a role outside of the job you're doing? Right, okay. Because yeah. a lot, particularly when you're doing audit recruitment and I think probably tax recruitment, the roles are pretty much the same wherever you go. Yeah. So it's that grass is greener question, right? Like why yeah. do you, what what is going to make your grass greener here versus the grass where you are? Yeah. Um, because the job's going to be the same depending, maybe slightly different clients, different partners. But I think those, I very much like to find out more about people's motivations, why they're wanting to move, what they want to move for versus I normally leave the technical stuff up to the partners because well, that's, that's where they should be able that's to where they value, you know? You, you, you'd like to think that's where they would yeah. be able you to do so, more. right? Have you ever been asked a really, have you ever been asked an interview question that you've been like, what the hell? Why are you asking that question? Or a question that's just been like baffling? Because they are out there, right? Do you know what I've had well, particularly back in early recruitment days, and I know everyone, everyone jokes about it, but I had the sell me this pen. No! Question oh, God. Four Pet times. Peppy. Four times. No! Was it the same company? <laughs> Different. No. Different. It, it was a thing. I mean, I, I've not had that question, thank God, because ugh, just it's so mediocre, firstly. Secondly, I still hear that people have been asked that yeah. question. Recruiters. Please stop. <laughs> I once asked somebody on a date that question. <laughs> Recruitment and dating is very relatable. It is very relatable. You have a candidate, you have a hiring manager. Georgia, in this case, you are a hiring manager. We've got your candidates. It worked. He did. He was a boyfriend, so it did work. But on our first date, because I, I was in recruitment, he wasn't in recruitment, he just couldn't get his head around what recruitment was. And he was like, oh, you're going to ask me one of those questions that's really... I was like, yeah, I am. Sell me that. It might not be a pint. It might have been a pint of beer. I think I might have asked him to sell me a pint of beer. Now, beer that's, sounds more reasonable. Also, it's an easy sell, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I hate beer, so well, it was a really hard sell. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've asked that question. I definitely had another one, and I can't... I can't think of them now, but there's been some where I've been more so on the agency side when I've interviewed for jobs within agencies where I have been shocked by the fact that they've asked those questions. And it's more so those old school had a lot of fun back in their day. Yeah. Probably gonna, aren't going to last much longer in these yeah. day and ages. Yeah. Well, we have a colleague who was asked a very inappropriate question, actually, during an interview with an agency firm, not us. Um, which which was, I think, just shocked us all to the core that in 2022 yeah. she'd been asked a question that was essentially, you know, they wouldn't have asked a man. Yes. Um, which um, is a whole other topic in itself, but I'm very passionate about that, so we should move on. We should, we should end there. <laughs> um, no, thank you so much for coming on. We've no, not really. I've actually really learned a lot about potentially some of the, the judgments that I would have made normally about <laughs> the volume that you guys do. I mean, honestly, yeah. hats off to you. 
um really really interesting thanks for coming on thanks and for having me. thanks everybody for listening right it's now time for sheena to leave because just before we close off um sheena is actually getting married next week and it's her last day in the office so before we close out just a massive congratulations to sheena congratulations and Kush. finally getting married <laughs> seven years later <laughs> so, sorry Kush. um all right thanks guys see you later <laughs>